Thanks for downloading this Status Podcast. For more information about Status, visit our website at whatsyourstatus.com. Also, check out our conversational podcast, Status Solarium. You can find it by searching for Status Solarium in iTunes or by visiting feeds.feedburner.com slash status solarium. Hey, everybody. How you doing? I'm Tom. Oh, my, oh, my, oh, my. I do like you, too. Well, before we move any further into the evening, uh, there are a few announcements and kind of some changes to some things we're doing that I wanted to let you guys know about. Bear with me. There are a few of them. So if you want to get out your pen and paper, I'm kind of kidding, but not really because there are a lot. So just hang with me for a bit and I'll explain them. Uh, coming up, let me start this way. <clears throat> Many of you have probably heard about Muse, I'm sure, right? In the, all right. In the past, we've done uh, one type of Muse. And uh, if you've been to one, they're usually fo- focused around cultural issues um, like the new atheism. We had one about um, eco uh, gardening and urban gardening, which was awesome. Um, and so with Muse, we decided we kind of want to take um, a shift a little bit. We're still going to be doing Muse culture, um, which excuse me, we'll still be doing Muse, but it's going to be in two forms. There's going to be Muse culture, which we you know went to the art gallery and had kind of a lecture format and Q&A, uh, which has been awesome. And we're still going to do that based around you know, biodiesel or uh, microfinancing or different culturally relative uh, issues. But we are also going to be doing something called Muse Theology, which I am very excited about. (laughs) And the first one is going to be this Saturday. Now, you're probably like Muse Theo. I don't even know what that means. Well, I'm about to explain it to you. So what we're going to do is we're going to be bringing in professors from local seminaries, um, to come speak about their area of expertise. So if any of you are in seminary, wanted to go to seminary, can't afford it, basically think you're going to be auditing a class on this person's specialty. It's going to be awesome. We're doing it a different time, different flavor. We're going to be having it this Saturday morning, Saturday morning at 9.30 in the morning. It's going to go from 9.30 to 1.30. Um, our first speaker is going to be a man named Dr. Chuck DeGroat, and he is awesome. I had barbecue with him, and he's a great man. Great man. He's going to come speaking about his uh, his uh, specialty, which is spiritual formation. And you may be like, I'm not really sure what that means. Um, but we're actually doing this kind of in tandem to something I'll explain in a moment. But essentially, it's going to be your spiritual practices, praying, fasting, meditating, things like that. Um, he's going to come explain a few things that will um, and kind of teach us a few more aspects of how we can engage in God and how we can uh, sit in his presence in different ways. It's going to be phenomenal. Um, again, uh, this Saturday, October 11th. Uh, 9.30 in the morning. We're going to do like two and a half hour sessions, so kind of hang in there. It's, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be real conversational uh, in room 108. And then from there, we're either going to, depending on the group size, go out to lunch and have lunch together and just do Q&A over lunch, or we're all going to go buy lunches and go to the park and sit in the park and kind of just finish our discussion, do Q&A, ask Chuck about anything. He's amazing. You're going to love him, I promise. Again, October 11th, 9.30 in the morning, room 108 here. Be there. On the following night, actually, no, I'll do that next. Um, In kind of conjunction with that, we will be moving forward this coming year in a study uh, about spiritual formation. So starting on October 19th, we are going to be inviting pastors from Discovery and from kind of around the city, certain members of status or or people that have expertise in another uh, in like different spiritual uh, practices like uh, prayer, study, uh, worship, celebration, uh, confession, things like that. And so the way we're going to do it is on October 19th, when you come in, we're going to have somebody in the gallery. So you'll be able to kind of come in and, and, and go to that. And the first one's going to be with Barry, uh, Pastor Barry Johnson, who's awesome. If you haven't met him, he's the coolest dude ever, besides Chuck DeGroat. They're kind of tied. But I haven't had barbecue with, 
with Barry. So I'm not quite sure. But I do want to recommend that you guys check this out. It's going to be awesome. If you uh, come to the this Saturday, it'd be a great launching pad for you into the next three weeks. And what we'd like to advise you to do is just uh, come with your, your acts groups. Um, and come during the 6.30 service and hang out in the gallery. The kind of the format's going to be, he's going to talk about what the history and theology and why we pray. And what does it even mean? Where is it in the Bible? Things like that. And then we're going to spend the second half actually uh, doing different experiences. So he's been studying like ancient monastic practices and like the prayer rituals of monks. It's going to be awesome. So you really should check it out. Again, that is October 19th. So not this weekend, but the following weekend during the 630 service. And we'll, um, in the next week, I'm going to tell you the next couple that are coming up. But that's going to be called uh, Spiritual Formation. We'll be doing that over the next three weeks. So that's pretty exciting. I'm kind of pumped about that. Don't know about you. Anyway, Axe Facts or Axe Group, Axe Experience, whatever you've been calling it, I don't care. We didn't tell you what to call it, so just call it whatever you want. We want to advise you to keep going with your groups. If you want to, that's amazing. We've had a few people come up that have said, hey, our group's actually getting along really well. Uh, what, what should we do about that? We kind of want to keep hanging out. We're like, good. That's great. Have a barbecue. Go yachting. Seriously, people went yachting. I don't know about your group. You're probably like, I just got gypped because someone went yachting. But um, it's that just want you guys to know that that has been just a huge blessing for Jen and I and everyone just to hear about. Um, I want to encourage you guys. Um, next Sunday night, October 12th, yes, we are going to be doing our fall. Uh, wow, that's not, is it the fall? Are we, are we in that season? I don't even know. Yeah? Okay, fall? Okay. We're doing the fall communities launch, which means all of our spheres will be launching in the other room, and our practice will be represented, volunteer opportunities. If you've met people in your groups that you like, join a group with them. You know, let's say you like, like a couple people in your group, join a sphere with them. We would love for you to come in in your groups and kind of just meet people. If you want to keep going with your group, do it. If you want to get in a, like start a house church or get in a sphere, do that. There's so many opportunities for you guys to stay in community. We kind of want to uh, keep that going for you. Does that make sense? Is that pretty cool? So next weekend in the gallery, fall communities launch. You guys still with me? Okay. Hang with me. I got a few more trucking through them. Okay. Uh, also everything that I'm saying to you, is going to be on the Google Calendar on the latest section of our website for those of you that are not taking notes right now. So uh, check it out, and uh, it'll have all the information on there. We're going to give you a three-month calendar. Uh, up, It'll be up this week for you to download. So don't worry about, like, memorizing every single word I'm saying, or you can, and that would be really weird. So please don't do that. Another change that we're going to be making, um, we, as you guys know, we do boiler rooms. Uh, in the past, we've done it every Monday or every Tuesday, depending on whether it's a boiler room or a boiler lake. Uh, from here on out, starting this Monday, we are having boiler room, uh, 7 p.m., room 108, across the hallway. So our weekly uh, prayer experience, and if, uh, we pray in groups. We pray for each other. We pray for status. Sometimes we sit in silence. Sometimes we just worship. It's awesome. If you're new, great opportunity to meet people. Please um, join it. We'd love for you to see you there. It's really, really cool. If this group is kind of big for you and you kind of freak out, but you're like, I don't really know what to do, come check out the boiler room. Hang with us. So we're going to be continuing to do boiler rooms on Monday nights, but only the first Monday of the month. Cool. All right. Now, the second and fourth weeks of the month, we are opening up to people for people to have um, in-home prayer and worship gatherings. So we're going to start setting stuff up around the city, random parts of the city, random times in random living rooms for you all to get together and worship and praise and, and, and do whatever you want to do uh, in these houses. So we're going to get that information to you through the newsletter and the website, um, and we'll probably give you the address here too. So that'll be the second and fourth week. Now, the third week, you guys still with me? This is like a, This is like Jenga. This is really hard. 
I love Jenga. Anyways, third week, we're going to be doing uh, Boiler Lake, as you know it, down by the lake, Chinese Pagoda, 6.30 in the morning, and we're still doing that on Tuesday. So real quick, one last time, first Monday of the month, Boiler Room. Second and fourth, in the house, we'll tell you, third, Boiler Lake. Sound good? Wow, okay, like one more thing. Hang with me, guys, you're doing great. In the lobby this evening, uh, you saw a few booths. We have uh, Jeannie's book is out there called Soul School. It's 10 bucks. Check it out. Do it. Seriously, do it. Um, also, we have another booth that's voter registration. You may or may not know that tomorrow is the last day for you to register to vote. Now, we are not in any way telling you who to vote for. Don't get me wrong. We highly encourage you to go out and do all the research on your own. Seek it for yourself. That's your decision. Um, but we feel like it's really important for our community. And in order for us to impact our culture, we think it's very important that people take that seriously. So if you've moved, maybe you didn't know. If you moved, you need to re-register so you're in the right precinct. A couple light bulbs went off. People like I moved didn't do that. So in the lobby, voter registration, please check it out. Um, I think that's it. Is everyone still awake? Awesome. Sorry I didn't kill the vibe. Yeah, hey. Okay. All right, great. Oh, you guys are the best. I love you. Um, See, so I'd like to um, welcome up Jeannie. Jeannie is um, going to finish up her series called the, um, the Long Way Around, and then next week we're starting on Acts. So thank you guys, and welcome, Jeannie. Awesome. Thanks, Tom. Well, it's good to be back with you guys. Uh, yesterday, my son is turning three this week, and we had a three-year-old birthday party. For those of you that have never been to one, it's intense, okay? Three-year-olds running around everywhere. And uh, my son is into temporary tattoos right now. And so we asked him, what do you want to do at your birthday party? And he said, I want to tattoo all of my friends. So kids came over and literally we had a little sign that said Elijah's ink station and kids came and they got temporary tattoos. I'm sure all the parents are really into us as parents as well. So, but it was super fun and I'm recovering from, uh, from that party and it's great to be with you guys here today and I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to jump in. Sound good? God, uh, thank you. Thank you for uh, who you are. Thank you for your movement in our life. Thank you for all of the ways that we saw you this week and even for the ways that we didn't, uh, the ways that you sustained us, the ways that you held us together, and the ways that you answered prayers, even prayers that maybe we weren't even sure we were praying. Uh, and God, I just want to ask that you would uh, be all of who you are tonight, that you would Allow yourself, your son, your spirit to uh, truly encompass this room uh, in such a way that uh, we just sort of fade and and you are all. I pray that specifically for myself, God. I pray that uh, somehow my words wouldn't be what we hang on tonight, but that it would be your words, God. Your words speaking and prompting and bringing healing and care and love and concern. And so, uh, God, we don't need to invite you here. We know that you are here. We just uh, want to tell you that we are listening and we are open and we are attentive to your spirit's voice tonight. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, how many of you were here with me last week? Good amount of you, yeah. We started this series, uh, The Long Way Round, and talking about waiting. And a lot of what we talked about last week is this very large tension that exists between God and humanity. And that tension is that humans 
do not like to wait. Nobody wakes up and says, what I want to do today is just wait, 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 and then wait some more. Uh, but God is okay with waiting. And we sort of combed from Genesis to Revelation and realized that there are so many different moments throughout the scriptures where God invites his people into waiting. But we have this tension with God in that we don't like to wait. And what we're going to do tonight is continue on in that tension. But I think for many of us, it's going to get a lot more personal because what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at what do we do when we're the person that God is inviting into waiting? I mean, what do you do when it's not just, you know, somebody out there is waiting or there's this, you know, sort of prayer that, you know, is is big and bold that, you know, we're all praying for. But what do you do when it's very personal? What do you do when it's when it's your life? And it's your story. And it's your circumstances. And, and so I think for some of us that, that can get a little nebulous and can feel a little gray and fuzzy, like, well, I'm not totally sure if I'm in a, a season of spiritual waiting. I'm not totally sure if that's what I would call it. So what I want to do is I want to give us a little bit of a self-assessment to try and determine if, in fact, we are in a season of waiting. And so what I want you to do is I'm going to list off about, about five questions and uh, just mentally sort of you don't have to write this down or anything but just mentally answer whether you would say yes or no to this question okay so here's the first one is there something that you are praying for right now that hasn't happened in your life is there something that you're praying for in your life uh, that just it hasn't happened yet okay so that's the first one the second is there a desire that you have that has not been fulfilled Is there a desire that you have that hasn't been fulfilled? Number three, is there a decision that someone else needs to make that you know will affect your life and you're waiting to see what they will do? And so your waiting isn't just dependent upon circumstances in your own life, but it also has to do with somebody else, which for me, that's sometimes the most frustrating waiting. Number four, is there a part of your life that you know needs to change A place where you feel stuck, but nothing seems to be happening. Okay, so that's number four. Number five, is there something from your past that tends to keep coming up in your life and you keep wondering, when is this finally going to be done and over? So something that has occurred in your past, something that, you know, just continues to sort of raise its head in your life and you're wondering, Is this going to continue to come up or is there going to be a day when I can put a period to the end of this sentence? Okay. How many of you, for at least one of those things, you were able to say yes? Okay. Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Now I want you to look around the room. Okay. Congratulations. You're waiting. Okay. And you're not the only one. You're not the only one. The thing is, is that for many of us, I think when we think about waiting, specifically when we think about spiritual waiting, we think about God sort of putting us in this gray, boring, like wondering is there padded walls kind of waiting room situation. And God is on the other side and has the key. And when in God's time he decides, he's going to come and unlock it and say, you can get out of your waiting room and go about your life and go about your business. 
And we sort of picture waiting this way. And I mean, we've all been in a waiting room. I mean, I feel like every single medical office around the country has the same sort of waiting room. Like they all still have not invested in a better television. Like they all still have the tiny little television that still has knobs that you have to turn, has four channels, and Montel Williams always seems to be on, you know? It's like every single waiting room you ever walk into in a medical building is playing the same show. And, you know, for whatever reason, every waiting room... I've ever been in they always have like three-year-old subscription magazines in there you know it's like come on I want to read people from this week not from six years ago you know and 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 they have magazines all strewn around and for whatever reason I don't know every waiting room I've ever been in always has highlights for children for some reason I I don't know if you've been in that same like I don't know why like if they like give discounts to medical people for that but but I mean we've all been in a waiting room and not only do they seem to look the same way but the same types of people are always in the same waiting room aren't they I mean you walk in and it's like there's that person that's giving out way too much information and you're so frustrated that you sat down next to them like you sit down and all you want to do is see the doctor and they're like hey how are you how are you feeling what are you in here for oh man I've got this hemorrhoid and it's just been flaring up and I I don't know what to do about it and you're like too much information you know and you're trying to find a way to move down you know or or then there's the person you know that you know is just talking excessively on their cell phone right underneath the sign that says no cell phones allowed you know and you're like get a clue like no cell phones in here then there's the person that walks in you know and their their head is down they're coughing horribly and you just keep praying the whole time like Oh God, please don't let them sit next to me. I don't want what they have, you know. And, and it's like the same person. It, different types of people are all in waiting rooms. I had one of those experiences um, last New Year's Eve. We were down here visiting Josh and Rebecca, and somebody had given me this like new lotion for Christmas, and I put it on, and I broke out in hives all over my body. So like literally, I'm itchy all over the place, and gross red things are all over my body. And so it was not fun. And so I was like, I have got to do something. I was like four months, four or five months pregnant at the time. I was miserable. And so I called my doctor. She won't give me a prescription. So I have to go to the ER. It's my only alternative. And so we find the closest ER around here and we go walking in and, you know, and I'm like every other person that walks into the ER, you know, you do two things. You look around and you see how many other people are waiting, right? You know, knowing how long am I going to be in in line to see the doctor. And the second thing is, is do they look happy? Like, is there any part of them that is enjoying this experience right now? And so in my situation, I walked into this ER down here in Orlando. It was crowded. I mean, packed, tons and tons of people. Not one person gave a smile. Not one person looked like they were enjoying their time. Not one person was like, this is exactly where I want to be today. Everyone was annoyed by being in the ER. And so, of course, you know, we go up to the nurse and check in. And, you know, I'm like trying to show her that I'm pregnant. And like, maybe she'll bump me up on the list. Like, not only do I have this problem, but it could affect my unborn child, you know. And maybe she'll have some sympathy on me. And, you know, they, of course, never tell you when you're going to be called. You know, they just tell you you've got to wait. And so we're sitting there and... And I'm sitting there and I'm waiting and I'm like, okay, God, I can handle this. You know, I can, I can wait. I can do this, you know, and a baby starts crying and I start to get utterly annoyed with the baby. And then I think, oh my gosh, I'm pregnant. I'm annoyed with the baby. I'm going to be a horrible mother, you know, like, so this is all running through my mind while I'm sitting there in the ER. Then this five-year-old girl, she starts darting into the bathroom every five minutes, leaves the door open and throws up every time she goes in there. And so everybody in the waiting room is a part of her experience, you know, and I'm like, this is awesome. I just want to sit here, 
longer. This is great, you know. And, and so she's doing that, you know, and people are coming in after me and getting called. And so, like, my temperature is just boiling. I'm getting frustrated. All I want to do is go see the doctor, get my prescription, and I get out of there. And so I have one of these moments where I'm like, I need to do something. I need to take charge of this situation. And so my wonderful husband was sitting next to me, and I said, Honey, I need to ask you a very important question, and there's only one answer to this question. There's only one way that you can answer it, and it will be right. He sort of looks at me, and he's trembling, and I said, do you love me? And he's like, yeah, babe, you know I love you. You know I'll do anything for you. And I was like, well, then if you love me, you will go up to that nurse right now. You will say that your very pregnant wife needs to see the doctor immediately. You have to take control of this situation. And so he's looking at me, like fear in his eyes. Maybe she won't be that good of a mother. I don't know what, what, what is happening. And he starts walking up there right when they call my name. And my husband, I mean, he was like sighed with relief, more than I was relieved to go see the doctor, that he didn't have to go, you know, deal with this situation. And the thing about that waiting room experience, it was maybe an hour and a half tops. And I was frustrated the whole time I was waiting. There was not one moment where I was like, you know, this is great. I have an hour and a half to think about all those things that I've been wanting to think about. Like, I never once had that kind of emotion around the waiting. All I wanted to do was change my circumstances. All I wanted to do was take control. And I think one of the most difficult things for us when we are in a season of waiting is that whenever you are waiting, you are out of control. Whenever God invites you into a season of waiting, any mirage of control that you think you have in your life goes out the window. You are utterly out of control. And most people don't like feeling out of control. You see, when God asks us to wait, I think many of us feel like we've been plopped into that spiritual waiting room and we're not going to get out. And we don't know how to get out. And so what we do is we start to come up with scenarios of how we can make that waiting room just a little bit better. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start to make some plans and maybe inform God of what needs to happen. I'm going to start to put some things into motion and maybe God will bless those things that I've put into motion. Even though I never felt him telling me to put those things into motion. I'm going to just have a few meetings and call a few people and and do a few things. Even though I know God has asked me to wait, I'm going to just, you know, help him out a little bit. And, And maybe he'll just sort of bless those things that I've done. But you see, when God invites us to wait, his invitation is not just to wait. His invitation is to loosen all grip of control that we have around our lives. But for many of us, when God invites us to wait, that is often the moment that we tighten up, isn't it? That is often the moment that we start to get afraid. That is often the moment when we start to think, I'm not sure if I can truly trust God. I'm not sure if I, if I can really put all of my hope into the fact that this prayer might stay unanswered for longer than I want it to stay unanswered. And ultimately, what happens when we start to tighten up the grip of control is we ultimately start saying, God, I'm not sure I want your plan because I think my plan might be better. I think my plan might be better because we're afraid of what that is around the corner, wondering, is God really good enough 
Is God really going to give me something good enough on the other side of this waiting? And when we start to to tighten up our grip and when we start to put ourselves in the driver's seat of control and, and start to, you know, figure out how can I make this waiting not so difficult, initially what we start to do is we start to do things in the name of God. They, they look spiritual and they look good and, and they're not all that, you know, bad in the first place. But over time they start to build up and we slowly start to develop this calloused yet calculated way of moving through our lives. We make our decisions We let the primary influences on what we should do sort of be our feelings and our intuitions versus waiting for God to answer a prayer. Our desires start to look no different than the desires of everyone else in the world. And at one time in our lives, we had this 100% utter devotion, connection. God, I trust you. I will wait on you kind of relationship. And slowly but surely that starts to ebb away and it gets less and less and less. And there are parts of our lives that we control and that we run. And then there's other parts that we say, well, God, you you can have those parts over there. And we don't live a life where we are completely and utterly devoted and connected and in trust with God. And then we start to look around and, and you can start to see, you start to get envious and jealous of people whose lives seem to all be falling into place. And you start to think, well, why isn't my life working out that way? Why, why does it seem like everybody else's life looks good and, and mine, I just, I just have to do all of these things. I'm constantly having to work to make my life happen. And I think part of the reason is because you were never willing to loosen the grip of control in your life. And any time, any time God asks us to wait He also is asking us to release control. You see, we can never be in spiritual waiting without releasing control. And we can never release control without God also inviting us into waiting. The two go hand in hand. In fact, you can comb the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. Every person that God ever invited into a season of waiting, he also at the same time said, you have no control on the outcome. I mean, you, you can just look. You look at Noah. He finds himself on this boat that God asked him to build. He had no control over when that rain was going to stop. No control. There was absolutely nothing he could do to change his circumstances. Daniel finds himself in a den of lions. He has absolutely no control over if that's going to be his last breath. Joseph finds himself in a prison over a crime he didn't even commit. He has no control. He could have spent the rest of his life in that prison. Sarah and Abraham, we talked about them last week. God said to them, you are going to have a child. But they had no control over when that child was going to come. Jacob waited and worked for years for the true love of his life, Rebecca. Then he had no control over the fact that he was given a different wife. The Israelites waited in Egypt for years. They worked as slaves. They had no control over ever having a better future. God frees them, and then he says, you know what? You get to wait for 40 more years. And they had no control when they were going to walk into that promised land. David waited in a cave while he was being hunted down. He had no control over if he would ever get out. Mary was engaged to be married. She's so excited. Her life is in front of her. An angel shows up on her doorstep and says, guess what? You're pregnant. 
She had no control. She didn't ask for that. And do you know what she did? She waited and released control and allowed the Son of God to be born. She had no control. Simeon waited his entire life to see the Messiah. He had no control if it would ever happen. Mary and Martha, their brother dies. She had no control over if Jesus was ever going to come and raise their brother. The sick and the crippled, the diseased, they waited and hoped for Jesus that he would come to their town, but they had no control over if he would stop there. Jesus himself, the Son of God, waited in the garden and released control over to his father over the events that were about to occur. Paul, blinded on the Damascus road, for all he knew, he could never see again. He had no control over the outcomes. In the book of Revelation, it ends with every single one of us having no control over when Jesus is going to return. You see the story of God, the story of God from Genesis to Revelation is God inviting his people to wait and to release control. And the story of humanity is fighting it all the way through. The story of humanity continues to try to hold on to every grip of control that we can get. You see, when God invites us to wait, he invites us to let go, to surrender control. And so many of us, we run as fast as we can when we sense God is asking us to surrender something, don't we? All we want to do is just tighten up our fingers and say, oh God, everything but this, please. You can have everything but this. And we just wrap our arms around it and we hold on so tight white-knuckled, begging God to not ask us to surrender control of that thing that we most love, that thing that we most desire, that person that has been in our life. Whatever it may be, we so are afraid of what life might look like if we release control. We don't like to surrender. We see it as giving up, as being passive. And we feel like that's just going to bring more pain into our life. But what we need to start seeing is that our trying to remain in control when God wants us to wait actually creates more pain. You see, when God invites us to wait, he's inviting us into an active spiritual experience. It is nothing like sitting in a bland, gray, padded room. In fact, the exact opposite happens when God invites us into waiting. It is one of the most active spiritual things that God could invite someone that he dearly loves into. You see, active waiting is just that. It is incredibly active. And when I comb through my own life, when I comb through my own story, and I look at the different experiences of my life, those seasons when I was in intense active waiting are some of the most fruit-producing seasons of my life. Just this past week, I was going through uh, some of my old journals, trying to, uh, as I was thinking about coming here this weekend, trying to remember some of the different seasons that God had invited me into and how I felt when God was inviting me into those seasons of waiting. And it was amazing to me. I came upon a journal from 1999, May 27th, 1999. And this is what I wrote in my journal. I wrote it down on a piece of paper. 
I wrote this. Words like wait and be patient all in the right time are very difficult words for me, God. I know that they are doused and soaked in concern and wisdom and love, but they seem to chew at my life in such a way that feels destructive. What about when my soul is aching like it is right now? The last thing that I want to do is wait for the right time. This act of soul healing with the cure being waiting, it almost feels comical, God. Please, is there any other way? Because this process of waiting feels so long and tedious. God, give me visions and pictures of my new life and my new relationship with you while I wait. I wrote that almost 10 years ago in a journal. And when I wrote that, I had just walked into some circumstances that felt like my entire life was unraveling. Things that I had prayed for were totally shifting and turning out differently than what I wanted them to. Things that I had put my hope in were not going to come through the way that I wanted them to come through. People that were close friends, there were some wounds that came from them. And it was very, very, very painful. And when I walked into that situation, all I wanted to do was hydroplane past the waiting and gain control of my own life. Because I knew that if I utterly surrendered control, if I said, okay, God, I'm going to walk into this and I'm not going to take control, I knew that I would be in a significant season of waiting. And I had no control over the outcome. I didn't want to run through it. I didn't want to go through it. And I didn't get through that gauntlet of waiting with flying colors. But somehow I was able to walk through that season and wait. And as I waited and as I released control, three very significant things changed in my life. The first thing that changed was how I pray. My entire prayer life shifted. Oftentimes, my prayers were informing God things. My prayers became a pleading to God for things. My entire relationship with him became this fluid, active conversation that wasn't just a moment in the morning before I went to work or on my bed before I drifted off into sleep. I started to have a conversation and it was ongoing with God. And it wasn't just, oh God, you are so wonderful. You are so beautiful. You are so amazing. I love waiting and I love you. My prayers were actually much more like the prayers that David prays in Psalm 77. Let me read this to you. It says, I yell out to my God. I yell with all of my might. I yell at the top of my lungs and thank God he listens. I found myself in trouble and went looking for my Lord. My life was an open wound that wouldn't heal. And when friends said everything will turn out all right, I didn't believe a word they said. I remember God and I shake my head. I bow my head and then I wring my hands. I'm awake all night, not a wink of sleep. 
I can't even say what's bothering me. I go over the days one by one. I ponder the years gone by. I strum my lute all through the night, wondering how to get my life together. And I felt like in that season, that's what my prayers were like. This crying out to God. It was the kinds of prayers that you pray from the, from the bottom of your guts. It was raw and honest and real. I mean, when, when David prays this, he's crying out to God. Saying, God, I, I don't like my circumstances. I don't like what's going on. But I know that I can be in constant conversation with you. And some of you are in a season of waiting. And all you're doing is informing God of how you want your circumstances to change. And that's okay. You can inform. But let me tell you, God wants to talk to you. He wants to be in conversation with you. He wants you to talk about how you feel, about what's going on, how you want the circumstances to change, but he also wants to talk to you back. He wants your prayer life to become a conversation, to be more than just something that you do in the morning before you head off to work and something that you do when you hit your head on the pillow at night. He wants a relationship with you while you're in the waiting And as I walked through some of that first early waiting in my spiritual life, I can truly say, I think that's where my relationship with God really began to develop, was through those prayers. Not only did my prayer life change, but my relationships with people changed. It was amazing to me that as I first started to walk through spiritual waiting, and I've walked through it many, 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 many times, I'm in a significant season of waiting right now. But almost every time I've walked through a season of waiting, my relational world started to shift. And I started to realize that not only is God a God that lives within community, meaning the triune trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, But God himself is okay to wait within the Trinity. You see, God waits on us. But God doesn't wait alone. And so God doesn't intend for us to wait alone. And I think that for many of us, when we walk into a season of waiting, what we do is we clam up and we come in and we decide that we're going to do that waiting all alone. We're going to keep that prayer quiet. We're going to be the unspoken prayer request when they go around the circle. We're not going to tell anybody about that thing that we're waiting on because what if they laugh about that thing? Or what if they shame us over that thing? Or what if they just give us some pat spiritual answer that makes us feel like the waiting is even more intense? And some of us are afraid to risk into community. One of my favorite, favorite books of the Bible is the book of Ruth. And One of the reasons that I love the book so much is I love the relationship between Naomi and Ruth. You see, it's amazing. Within the first five verses of that book, Naomi's husband dies and both of her sons die. She is in utter chaos. Pain has dealt her a curveball that she did not see coming in life. And it's amazing. The entire rest of the book is this relationship between Naomi and Ruth. And Ruth is her daughter-in-law. And Ruth comes to her in the middle of her pain and in the middle of her waiting. And she says this to her. 
But Ruth said, don't force me to leave you, Naomi. Don't make me go home. Because where you go, I go. And where you live, I'll live. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. Where you die, I'll die. And that's where I'll be buried. So help me, God. Not even death itself is going to come between us. And some of you, maybe the only reason you came tonight is so that you can step out of the solitude of your waiting into a community of waiting. Because if you noticed when we started a few minutes ago, there were a lot of people who raised their hands and said they were waiting. And for whatever reason, though, many of us tend to wait on our own. And maybe the one thing you need to do tonight before you leave is you need to say, I need to talk to you about something. I'm in a season of waiting, and I really need you to be in it with me. Or maybe you need to go home and get on Facebook and find somebody, and that's sort of weird, but maybe you need to. Somebody you know, not a stranger, okay? Um, Somebody that's already accepted you as a friend. Um, And just say, I am, I am in the middle of what feels to be a very difficult waiting room. And I don't want to wait here alone. Can you wait with me? I don't recommend you writing it on their wall. Maybe send them a message, okay? Or maybe you need to send an email. You need to pick up a phone. But waiting was not intended to be done alone. And you know, the amazing thing is I was reading over my journals this past week, and for those of you that think that I have like uh, this unbelievable journal and prayer life, I don't have a Dewey Decimal System for all my journals, okay? I I only, it's amazing to me, most of my journals are like when I'm in pain. Um, But as I was reading through them, it was amazing to me the different names that I wrote down in my journal of people that God brought into my life to walk with me in significant seasons of waiting. See, we are not intended to do this alone. And not only did God change my prayer life, not only did God change how I interact with people in the middle of waiting, but almost every time God has invited me into a significant season of waiting, God has changed the purpose around what I was waiting for. You see, not only does God change your prayer life, not only will God change your relationships, but I believe ultimately God at times will even change the purpose of what you're waiting for. You see, when we're just hungry for our waiting to come to an end and for God to give us that thing that we're waiting for, we're not actively waiting for God to be God. Ultimately, what we're doing is waiting for somebody to just change our circumstances. It's almost as if we're waiting with a sense of entitlement. We're we're waiting for that thing that we want to have completed or ended to just get a check in the box of it being over and done with. But when we actively wait, our true purpose starts to take shape and we begin to see that it is in the waiting that God is ultimately transforming us into the image of Jesus. And that thing that we're waiting on it starts to fade in its level of importance and our desire to become like Jesus starts to increase. 
this, this thing that we're so consumed and waiting for starts to decrease and our desire and love and passion to be like Jesus starts to increase. I read a book earlier this year um, called Shattered Dreams. It's an amazing book. I would definitely encourage you to read it uh, if you're in a season of waiting. And there's a guy in there, and, um, and, he, and he basically is talking about his journey of waiting and his story of waiting. And, and he says this in the middle of some very painful things. He says, Faith as I am growing to understand it more is about looking beyond my circumstances, meaning looking beyond that thing that I'm waiting for, and looking to a person. You see, to have faith in better circumstances, even in God creating better circumstances, that's not true faith. He goes on to say, I want to be the kind of person who can watch every dream go down in flames and still yearn to be intimately involved in kingdom living, intimately involved with my friend the king, and still be willing to take another risk just because it delights him for me to do so. I want to be that same kind of person. I want to be that same kind of person that is so eager to be more and more and more like Jesus that the thing that I'm so obsessively waiting over starts to fade and my love and long for a relationship with Jesus increases and begins to overtake that purpose behind why I was in waiting in the first place. You see, when we actively wait, God transforms our purpose. And oftentimes, that which we are waiting for in the first place takes on a whole new purpose. I think some of us so desperately get into these seasons where we so want that thing that's right around the corner. We so want that prayer to get answered that when we white-knuckle our control around it, we can't see how God is already at work in our lives. And I do this all the time, all the time. I'll wrap my fingers around this thing, and I'll almost squeeze God out of the equation, letting him ultimately be God in my life. It was so funny. A couple of weeks ago, I was um, putting my son to bed, and... There's all sorts of rituals around putting a three-year-old to bed. And, you know, you've got to do the bath and you've got to, you know, brush the teeth and all that kind of stuff. And so usually, you know, by the time we're in bed and reading the story and that kind of stuff, you know, it's like 30 minutes have gone by just to get that. And so every night we're sitting in bed and reading the story with Elijah and then we pray. And, and he has this thing where he likes to take a toy to bed with him at night. And so we let him, you know, pick one toy that he can take to bed with him and, and I sort of imagine, like, all the toys, like, in Toy Story, you know, like, going, pick me, pick me tonight, you know. And and a couple of weeks ago, um, Elijah decided that he was going to pick his uh, John Deere tractor. And he was going to take this John Deere tractor to bed with him. And um, and so, you know, he, he's in bed, and we've gone through the whole ritual. And it, it's absolutely hysterical to me because this night when we had put him to bed, I, I see, like, there's like 15 toys in his bed, you know, like that we haven't cleared out from the night before. There's like trucks and tractors and stuffed animals. And, you know, I see a Swiffer broom in there. And I'm like, I have no idea how this Swiffer broom got in here. But nonetheless, that must have been the toy of choice one night. And um, and so, you know, he's we do our prayer and I put him to bed and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, and he's got his John Deere tractor and it's, you know, 
it's all good. And so I come back in about 45 minutes later to see if he's asleep and, um, and to take all the toys out of the bed so he doesn't roll over onto them. And, and I walk in, and as I'm clearing things out and, you know, getting rid of the trucks and the Swiffer broom and all that, um, I see my son's hand. And it is just wrapped around this John Deere tractor. I mean, he is holding it for dear life. Like he, I can only imagine the conversation he had with that tractor while he was falling asleep, you know. And, and I mean, he's just holding so tightly to this tractor. And so I, I get all the toys out and I sort of, you know, loosely take his fingers and, you know, sort of pry them off of the John Deere tractor and put it up onto the, to the dresser. And I'm walking out of the room and I had one of those moments where I just, knew God was saying to me, Jeannie, it's exactly what I want to do in your life. I want you to let go of that tractor. You have your hands so wrapped around that thing, and you're so afraid that I'm not going to come through. And you're so afraid that you have to to do all these things and and to act and and to, to put plans into motion and let go. Let go. Trust me. And as I was putting that tractor on the dresser, I mean, tears just started to stream down my face and I'm thinking I'm having a spiritual moment around a John Deere tractor. Like, is this okay, God? (laughs) You know? And as I'm putting this tractor down, I'm realizing that God wants us to release our fingers from our lives. And we hold so tightly to the outcome. We hold so tightly, even when we sort of hand over the prayer, we we still sort of think, okay, but I'm just going to hold on to this little part of it, God, please. And I truly believe when we can let our fingers be released, when we can release control and truly step into the waiting, that's when God begins to say, as God was saying to me that night, I have something so much better for you. It's so much better. It's grander and bigger and more amazing and more beautiful than anything you could possibly dream up. It's better than all your prayers put together because I love you that much. You don't need to be in control of your life because I am. I'm in control. I love what Isaiah says in Isaiah 40. It says this. Has God lost track of me? Doesn't he care what happens to me? Don't you know anything? Haven't you been listening? You see, God doesn't come and go. God lasts. He's the creator of all that you can see or imagine. He doesn't ever get tired. He doesn't ever pause to catch his breath. He knows everything inside and out, and he energizes those who get tired. He gives fresh strength to the dropouts. Even young people tire and drop out. Young folk in their prime, they stumble and they fall. But those who wait upon God, they get fresh strength. They spread their wings and they soar like eagles. They run and they don't get tired. 
they walk and they don't lag behind. You know, it was amazing to me when I was putting that tractor down. I realized how tired I was from trying to control my life. I realized how tired I was from trying to put all of my plans into motion. And listen to the promise of God. Those who wait upon God, meaning those who release control over to God, they get fresh strength and they spread their wings and they soar like eagles and they run and they don't get tired and they walk. They don't have to lag behind. Some of you are so tired. You're so tired of having to control your lives and your circumstances. And you're so afraid of waiting because you feel like, I, I can't slow down. I can't, I, can't, I can't release that kind of control over to God because I've got to keep my life moving. What God, I believe, is saying to all of us, what God is saying to me, is to let your fingers go. Don't hold on so tight. Trust me. Believe in me. Have faith in me. Because in this waiting, I am actively transforming you more into the image of my son, Jesus. And what I have for you is better than what you most hope for. What you're most waiting on right now, I have something I want us to spend some time worshiping is I'm going to ask you as I did earlier when I asked you those things that you might be waiting on what I want you to do is um, try and conjure up the image of my son Elijah and his John Deere tractor and I want you to put whatever that thing is that you're waiting on into your hands right now I want you to hold your hands as tight as you can get them. Get your knuckles white right now, okay? And maybe just close your eyes. Just get yourself in a posture where you can uh, listen to God right now. And just hold on to that thing right now, okay? And I know it might seem weird. I know you might seem like, okay, do I really have to do this? No, you don't, but I recommend it. And just... Let God talk to you for a minute about that thing that you are holding on to so dearly. Whatever it is, whether it's a person, something in your future, a prayer that you have, whatever it is. And just hold it in your hands right now. And listen to the truth of Romans 8. It says, Meanwhile, the moment when we get tired in the waiting, God's Spirit is right alongside helping us along. You see, if we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. Because He does our praying in and for us. Making prayer even out of our wordless sighs, our aching groans. Because He knows far better than we know ourselves. He knows our pregnant condition. He keeps us present before God. And that's why we can be sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. And so God, right now, 
with our hands so firmly wrapped around that thing that we are so afraid of releasing to you. God, even in the words that we don't know what to say, in the moments when we ache and groan and and we're fearful over the future, God, we want to name that we are afraid to release control to you. We want to ask that you would help us. Help us to let our fingers go. Help us to trust you, to believe in you, to know that that thing that we are waiting for, that we wonder is around the corner, to know, God, that you have something so much better for us. And so, God, in my own life, the things that I'm waiting for, the things that I keep keep trying to control, God, I just want to say to you right now, I release them to you. And I open my hands. And God, I want you to be in control of my life. I want to be the kind of person that is utterly dependent upon you. The person that trusts you for every moment. And God, I know that there are many of my friends in this room that are doing the same thing right now. And so God... Help us to create more of a hunger for you than for that thing that we're waiting for. Help us to trust you, to believe in you, and to hope in you, and to know that when we wait, it is active. So take our worship now, God, as our surrendering of control to you, and as our way of being willing to wait. Thanks for listening. To contact us, you can send an email to podcast at whatsyourstatus.com. Also, remember to check out the Status Solarium podcast.